Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today, we have Jason Perro. Uh, Jason started his real estate investing career in 2001 with a duplex, left his full-time job in 2012, and currently owns around 1,300 apartments. So thank you so much for being on, Jason. Thanks for having me, Charles. I'm happy to be here. Good to see you. Yes, good to see you too. Uh, we usually, we've met a number of times in face-to-face -face at different conferences, which uh, we haven't been doing for the last uh, year or so, but. I know, soon enough, Ho hopefully, hopefully that... soon enough, so. So what was your background prior to starting to invest in real estate? Well, prior to investing in real estate, I, I was just a few years out of college. So I graduated college in 1999. Um, you know, met my wife like very early part of 2000. Well, at the time we were just dating early part of 2000, but we were just starting out, you know, didn't have really anything and, and um, had this goal of, of, you know, getting rich, I guess at the time that was <laughs> for lack of a better word, just, you know, you know, I didn't, grow up around money, didn't have a lot of money and we weren't poor, but just, I had no idea about, uh, about building wealth and, uh, and really, you know, real estate seemed to, um, f you know, fill that need, you know, at you know, that time, red, rich dad, poor dad, like, you know, 90, 90% of other people in the business. But, you know, I said, wow, this, this is, this is the vehicle. This is the key. And at the time I just thought, Hey, if I buy a property or two a year for a number of years, I'll, you know, be able to, uh, you know, be able to retire and do that and, and just that alone. But, you know, of course our, our tastes and, and things evolve and, and, you know, wanted to, you know, do more and be more. Um, but I worked in, I worked in sales. So I worked a few years, a few years in pharmaceutical sales uh, and then did medical device sales for about 10 years. And um, it was a huge learning experience just having that, that corporate life, that pressure. Um, but, but all the money we made, you know, so my wife worked in pharmaceutical sales as well. She was able to leave her day job in 2010, but those early years, we just, man, we did it the old fashioned way. We, we just pummeled like one person's salary into buying real estate, knew nothing about private money, knew nothing about syndicating, knew nothing about, uh, you know, larger properties, just, you know, just kind of grinded it out for, for a bunch of years. And, and um, that's just how we got our start. You know, we just sacrificed, lived, you know, lived way below our means and just tried to do everything we could to try and start building this little real estate business. So your first couple investments, your first one was a duplex. Uh, yeah. What 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 happened? What went wrong? What went right? Um, How did you acquire it? Yeah, well, a lot went right. I mean, it was. Um, I mean, we bought this duplex for thirty two grand, and so I it closed on it a week, about a week before nine eleven. Um, it was like the first like thirty two hundred bucks. I you know it was like a ten percent down payment. Um, just got like a regular bank loan on it. Um, I mean, it wasn't you know, you can judge by the price. It wasn't great. It was in a decent area, but you know, it was older and um, the rents were really low. They were like three, 325 bucks a month, but went in right away. Now this is 20 years ago, you know, but we went, went in right away, raised the rents and I think maybe raising them up to like 475. Um, and over time then, you know, until this past year, they were up at like 550. And so a lot went right. It was just a duplex, you know, we'd, we'd have a long-term tenant, they'd pay their bills, things break, we fix them. Um, but over the years, you know, we did minor upgrades, like replace the windows and 
replace the roof. And, and then unfortunately this past uh, spring, like right around Memorial Day time, um, had a fire in the upstairs. So the upstairs was actually both units were vacant and um, they think maybe somebody broke in, um, you know, and, and caused the fire. Wasn't totally devastating, but I'm like, oh my gosh, like do we want to go in and like fix this up. And, you know, it's kind of at this crossroads, but I ended up selling that on land contract to, uh, to one of my old property managers, who's now a real estate investor. And so I'll continue to make cash flow on that property for another 20, 15, 20 years. So um, that was like a great starting point. You know, the, the property had, a, you know, kind of held a special place in our heart. And um, it was just eventually, you know, you kind of graduate into different properties, but that was the launching pad. Then, you know, we bought it from, you know, from the time we, we started to invest in real estate, you know, it was looking for mentors, looking for people that, you know, we could buy property from. And this was a kind of a friend of the family. Um, guy was a retired IRS agent and he was partners with his brother-in-law who was a school teacher. And they had maybe, you know, 35, 40 units at their peak. And so the next year, you know, they, they you know, I said, Hey, I'm ready to buy more property. And they said, okay, well, we have a duplex and a four unit. And I bought those. And then, then the next year I'm like, Hey, I'm ready to buy another property. And, you know, I bought a seven unit from them and ultimately bought, you know, bought a handful of property from them. But um, it was all a positive experience, you know, early on, I, you know, we didn't know any better than just, you know, buying properties. And then as we started having children and, and the demands of our day jobs got to be more like, oh, wow, we, we've got to think about, you know, adding infrastructure. And part of the growth pattern was like, you know, we have to grow or we're just going to implode on ourselves. Um, so I'm not handy, um, but I used to paint. I used to, mow, you know, throw a lawnmower in the back of my car and do that type of thing. Um, it's a good learning experience. I mean, I, I, you know, you don't have to do that. You always have a better, you know, higher and better use of your time, but it taught me lots, lots of ins and outs of like how to change locks on, on apartments, how to do stupid <laughs> little repairs. I'm not really any good at it, but you know, it, was, it was something I learned. I didn't want to do. I don't want to be that landlord that I'm just tinkering around with my rental properties all day long. So, you know, um, four years in the business then, um, I got my first real mentor in the, in the business and met this guy and he had, you know, a bunch of property that he was willing to sell. Said, Hey, if you come up with a down payment, I'll, I'll own or finance the rest. And from that point on that helped us leapfrog into bigger and better things. Nice. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. That's a great, that's a great place. Yeah. I did the same thing on myself, man, for years, uh, doing all that, uh, you know, rebuilding the toilet kits and, uh, changing locks. And I had, I'd have uh, bags of different locks from different apartments that I was switching between it and keys going everywhere. Um, it's funny because my dad did a lot of property. Uh, you know, he managed his own properties, but he had a team doing it. I never saw my dad changing locks and he had a system and I was like, but years into it, then I was like, oh, you know, it's, I can just hire someone to do this landscaping and this kind of stuff. And it made it so much easier. So, yeah. but um, you don't know that right from the beginning where you're trying to, uh, well, you're learning the business secret, like you said, but you also don't know that you're able to easily just uh, how easy it is to outsource stuff. You know what right. I mean? Nobody teaches but, you the stuff like, no. grow, you know, growing up, but that's, no. that's okay. You have to learn it. And the faster you can learn how to get things in a system and, mm -hmm. and, you know, hire people and outsource stuff you know, if growth is your, is your goal, then, then you can grow, yeah. grow easier. So you own several hundred units now yourself and now you syndicate. So what is your current acquisition criteria? Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the simplest thing is the deal has to make sense. Um, you know, if I'm going to syndicate, you know, I'm looking for the ability to pay out my investors at, at, at what they would expect or, or think is a good deal. So maybe 8% cash on cash, 
15 to 20% IRR. Um, what I look for is that worst case scenario that, hey, day one, the deal can make, you know, it can make money. You know, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to be the guy or gal, you know, stuck mid value add when the COVID crisis hits and you're trying to, you know, push rents by three, 400 bucks a month. I love a value add play. I mean, there's a ton of wealth can be created that way, but I look for a deal that can hold its own day one, but then has enough upside to, you know, to, uh, to make sense. Um, you know, I, I really like, I mean, most of my property honestly is, is in my backyard, Erie PA, Northwestern Pennsylvania. Um, you know, we're in Cleveland, Ohio now, uh, getting ready to close a deal in Texas, have something going on in Florida. But at the end of the day, I like these secondary and tertiary markets, uh, because as we've all seen recently with COVID, but back when the 08 great recession happened and even around nine 11, you know, when the, when the economy takes a hit, these secondary and tertiary markets aren't as impacted, you know, they, they may, you know, rents may take a little bit longer to, to increase, but you know, we're not seeing like, you know, right now I'd hate to be a landlord in San Francisco or really, you know, anywhere in California or somewhere where rent prices are really high. So I just like to look for areas that, that will withstand a, an economic downturn. So Cleveland, Ohio, um, where we're investing as well, you know, um, I love that city, but you know, when there's a big, you know, the great recession hits, you know, they might be affected, but people still need a place to rent. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, the rent values aren't so high that, that people aren't going to, aren't going to pay those. So I think, you know, your, your multifamily investment should be able to weather any, any kind of storm that mm -hmm. comes, that comes to it. Yeah, for sure. Has your criteria or strategy changed during COVID at all? Were you just more conservative? Um, I would say I was generally like, I'm aggressively conservative. And I don't know if that makes any sense, but <laughs> I mean, I, I try to like, when we underwrite a deal, you know, I want to really look, I'm, I'm looking at two sort of models, right? I want to look at a pie in the sky. If everything hits, uh, and this is true for our syndicated deals and just what we own ourselves. but hey, if everything hits, this thing's just a grand slam all the way around. But look, conservatively, hey, if rent, rent increases don't, you know, don't meet our expectations or, you know, CapEx is higher than we want, can this deal still make sense? So we always try to stress test and, and that's something I, I've, I've done for a very long time. So the criteria hasn't changed much, but what has changed is though, you know, if we're going with agency debt, um, you know, by and large, we're stuck with these, with these crazy COVID reserves. And what do we do with those, right? Does that become something that we, when those are released back to us, can we implement a nice CapEx plan to, you know, start, you know, maybe increase the value and, and get some better rents. So, so that has changed a little bit because we know we're going to, have to, you know, have to, the lender's going to hold, you know, several hundred thousand dollars in many cases of, of our money. So what do we do with that? Right. Or do we, we give that back to investors when the funds are released? So, so I guess from the way we analyze it, maybe create a business plan, but at the end of the day, I think for me, the fundamentals have to be the same. I want something that, you know, that over say a eight, 10, 12 year period, we can deliver, you know, 8% plus cash on cash returns plus, you know, um, you know, really have that 15, 20% IRR. Right. Yeah, for sure. So, but we, we spoke uh, prior about, uh, you know, about your, your management company and your 600 plus units that you have yourself. So you self-manage that. And are you able to give us an overview of the property management arm of your business, how you run it? Sure. And, and we do sell, we're vertically integrated on the syndication stuff as well. So we manage, oh, okay. manage all those units that are in Northwestern Pennsylvania and uh, Northeast Ohio. So Cleveland area everything's in-house. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to acquire properties than it is to like to, to find employees. Um, or that, that, that was the, the truth for a lot of years. Um, so I, I think what really helped us was when we learned how to, to actually build a system and, and, and create, you know, try to really create a company culture that, you know, we're attracting top talent on all ends, you know, whether it's office staff or, you know, maintenance staff that's out in the field. And, um, you know, we, we have a system in terms of how we, how we list the units and how we rent the units and leasing and, and, you know, lease renewals and how we handle maintenance calls. But a lot of it's been trial and error. A lot of it's been, you know, figured out through best practices and masterminds and, and seeing what works and what doesn't work. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, the good and the bad with that is that, um, you know, if, if you, if you have a property management company and you're actively involved, somehow, some way tenants may be able to find you, you know, unless you just have, I mean, I have a few dozen employees at this point, but inevitably I, I'm always um, able to be found somehow. And, and that's, that's okay though. I mean, when, when my wife and I started our business, you know, we wanted, um, you know, we took a lot of pride in it and we still take a lot of pride in the business. So, um, you know, the highest and best use of my time is not talking with tenants about, you know, maintenance issue or a lease renewal concern. Um, but you know what, if that's what it takes to, to get the job done, then, you know, you have to make yourself involved. And so that can be, that can be a burden. It can be, you know, it's not necessarily a waste of time, but it's, it's it can be a, a time drainer. So that's the downside of it, but I, I've, you know, and it's, it's really trite. I mean, people say it all, all the time, but you know, if you can find people that are better at certain things than you are, you know, find people that are better at saying no to that applicant that shows up with all the money in hand, they're ready to move in today. We all know that that's, you know, that that's probably the wrong person to take, that you need to follow your criteria on who rents your apartments. But, you know, when you're the one handling it and it's your baby, you know, that apartment complex is your, your baby you know, you might be more inclined to, to let that person in and, and, and um, listen to their sob story um, rather than look at the, the cold hard facts and say, why would I want this person? They, they don't, you know, they don't meet the income uh, requirements. They, you know, they've had recent evictions or whatever the case is. So, you know, you want people that can say no, you want people that can follow your criteria for what you want in terms of, um, you know, tenant base, you know, how you want to respond to maintenance calls, that, that type of thing. So, um, and, and honestly, like there's people that are built for that type of thing. I mean, we have, you know, we have an employee who used to be a caseworker. She loves like dealing with drama and setting people <laughs> straight. Like she's like, oh, you're not going to pay your rent because of an eviction moratorium. Let me teach you why you are going to pay your rent. But that's like, she loves that. And, and I don't, I don't like those conversations, not in the least. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of different personality types that are built for different parts of this business. So and I'm still learning this, but the quicker you can recognize that, hey, you know what, there's going to be people better than you at a lot of these things, get out of the way and let them do their job, you know, kind of check your, you know, and it's all your own ego, you know, it's all what mm -hmm. you have in your head, get out of your own way and, and boy, you can really go far with, with getting the right people on board. Yeah, and make sure those right people are proactive so yeah. that you're, uh, you're not having any issues of bottleneck, right, and yeah. um, turn into something that they shouldn't have turned into, but um so what is your current role in the, in your business and what does your average day look like for you since you're kind of uh, more sounds like on the acquisition and um, I guess present side of the property management company? Yeah. Well, I think it's really, you know, um, like a, acting as a CEO or president of the company. Right. And that, that, 
oftentimes is, is the vision setter, the, you know, the, the, you know, setting the pace, setting the, setting the tone for the company. So, um, so constantly working on the business rather than in the business. And for years there was this transition of like, yeah, I'm doing both, but so, you know, stepping out of the way to let people do their jobs, but I'm measuring metrics. I, I'm analyzing data you know, making big decisions and letting everybody else make the little decisions, right? Like, Hey, telling the, telling our employees, Hey, this is what we want. This is our agenda. Now you can make those decisions and you can make things happen so we can meet our, meet our goals as a company. So it's really trying to, trying to set that pace and set that course. So, um, and a lot of that is, is, you know, ha, you know, being, being the vision of what, what do we want our company to look like? What do we want our employees and tenants experiences to look like? And then hiring people to, to make sure that, that those goals are being met and making sure that everybody's in alignment with those. That's really hard, right? Be, you know, to have everybody swimming in the right, you know, in the same direction, but, um, you know, really am involved in the acquisition side. I mean, I, um, I like that. That's what we do. Um, you know, but even on that side, having people that maybe are really good at, you know, you know, crossing T's and dotting I's and making sure that every, every element of, of a deal is underwritten properly. Um, so again, like, you know, I, I'm really good at with, with our relationships with our brokers and off-market ways of, of coming across deals. Really good at uncovering opportunities, but having people that in place that can uh, that can really scrub that and make sure it's the right you know uh, the right fit. Um, but you know, as we buy, we also we're selling, so um, you know, kind of churning the bottom part of the portfolio, maybe things we've owned for 15, 20 years, and and have a bunch of equity in it's time to time to kind of let those properties go, you know, go on to, to something else. And so we've owner financed a lot. We've sold things and just taken the equity and trying to move it in a, in a different direction. So actively involved in that, that part of it too, to just to kind of get the business to the next step. So what is your uh, role in the acquisition? Are you more, do you focus more on, say we're doing syndication, syndication deals is your, um, are you uh, sourcing deals? Is that like your thing? Are you underwriting deals? Are you raising money? Are you doing a little bit of each? Or are you kind of even more higher level than that? And um, you might have a couple people that are doing that for you and you're coming in and, um, you know, yes or no on a deal and stuff yeah. like that. Well, so, yeah, I mean, the truth is I'm still doing a little bit of everything like that. Mm -hmm. So even with our syndication business, um, I am at the high level of it and I, I sponsor the deal. I, you know, we, we pledge our balance sheet, you know, I'm a, uh, I, you know, sponsor my own deals and uh, sponsored other, other people's deals as well. But um, as an example, I mean, a deal comes along, it makes sense. Maybe I want to syndicate it. Um, I'll make a phone call or two to, you know, say, Hey, you know, I'd like, you know, this partner or that partner on a deal, let's, let's put a team together and, and make the deal, make the deal happen. So uh, I have a good friend of mine in the business. He's, he's, popped uh, popped on a couple of our deals and there was a opportunity that had arisen from um, a, a seller that we've bought multiple properties from and I said to him I said look we're gonna have this opportunity I'd like to do it 50 50 with you um, so let's just you know we, we kind of said we know we can both do it I'd say it's smaller smaller is relative it was a it's a four million dollar deal it was about a 1.3 million dollar raise um, so we both said, you know, hey, we, we know we can do these alone. Let's just make sure we have a room for each other in the deal. Um, so we both raised money. We both, uh, but honestly, it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that big of a lift for us. I mean, we kind of just made a few phone calls each and, and then had the money committed because it, it was a smaller nature of it. And just 
it didn't require a lot of work. I mean, you know, the one thing I think a lot of people forget whether they're self-managing, self-owning a small portfolio or syndicating is, you know, I, I didn't get into this to create an 80 hour a week job for myself. Mm -hmm. So um, sometimes it is like that. And I'm mm -hmm. like, all right, I got to, you know, you got to pump the brakes a little bit. And, um, and I know you put in the work so you can have the rewards later on, but you know, I, I that doesn't, you know, I didn't get away from corporate life to keep working 70, 80, 70, 80 hours a week. Sometimes you need to, and you have to do whatever it takes. But uh, as I've, as we've started to grow and the syndication thing has, has taken off, you know, I, I've uh, identified um, things that, you know, I, I can do all of that. I mean, you know, I've, I've built my own portfolio by doing all of, all of those things you mentioned, raising capital, underwriting deals, obtaining financing, you know, sourcing the deals. But a lot of that takes a lot of work. So happy to give up some pieces of that, uh, of, of those duties. Hey, there's some people that can do that better, more efficiently, or that really enjoy, enjoy that aspect of it. Um, so for me, it's been, you know, just, Hey, I can step back a little bit and really, you know, work on more of the, the higher level stuff, which I'm, I still struggle with. Cause I do like, you know, I do like raising money. I do like sourcing deals. I do like doing all of the kind of the nitty gritty, but as, as we keep growing, you know, I keep, you know, finding ways to give up some of those things that, that, uh, that I enjoy doing. Yeah, it's a great, I, I did that. Uh, we started doing that probably 12, 18 months ago and just start focusing on certain parts of the acquisition syndication. And we're like, Hey, we're really, we like, you know, the co asset management, we like raising money. We like doing these things and, um, left it to a couple of our partners for sourcing deals and underwriting it. And they love that analytical part of it. They love making the relationship with the brokers, which is a full-time job as it is to do it correctly. Right. Especially in the market we're in now. Right. Yeah. But um, speaking of that, so we're in a very competitive market. How has uh, your company changed or implemented any new deal sourcing techniques for finding deals? Um, like for example, one of my partners, um, they brought on a broker pretty much in-house into their company to source deals. So it's like, I'm like, that's outside the box. I love that type of yeah. stuff. Have you guys done anything like that or changed anything around to uh, for your personal portfolio on smaller properties or on syndication, done anything like that? Well, so, so for our um, personal portfolio and what we own, uh, what, what is local to us, um, I haven't had to change much, you know, after 20 years, like I think when you're starting out in the business, you've got to, you've got to do a lot of things to set yourself apart. When you've built a reputation, um, you know, with, with various brokers and in a certain market, you're going to be on the short list of people that mm -hmm. get called when, when an opportunity arises. You might not get called on everything, um, but even sellers that say, hey, you know what, I'm going to sell, um, then, you know, your name can come up. That's just been years and years of networking, getting to know, you know, most owners in the, in the market. And then, you know, we'll still cold call, but I mean, we're, we're running out of opportunity in our backyard. There's just not a lot left that, that uh, is larger that we would want to acquire. So, um, so as we go into new markets, um, to me, it's really about having that, that broker relationship uh, and or being able to source off market deals. The thing with, um, I've got a strong relationship with, with a broker team, brokerage team that, um, you know, they, they find, I mean, they, not a lot makes it to market. You know, they, they work with these off market sellers and, you know, they know what neighborhoods we're looking in and they're like, all right, here's the opportunity. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Let us know what you want to do. And, and it's just become, so I'd, I'd say they almost work for us or we work for them. I mean, yeah. uh, same thing, but they, uh, say, and same thing with our lender. I mean, I, I underwrite a deal, shoot it over to the lender and they have their analyst. Um, 
I can't stress enough how important it is to have uh, a good a good lender that's going to almost be a de facto co you know, maybe you know you don't want to maybe replace your CFO on your current team but you know my lender my broker acts as a my loan broker acts as a CFO and so I mean he's we talk multiple times a week about deals and he's he's kind of the you know um, you know he, he's always going to ask the tough questions and might sometimes tell you what you don't want to hear yeah. um, but being part of being a, a sponsor on some folks other deals I've seen what what the industry has as, as a normal loan broker and a lot of a, a lot of syndicators and, and, and non-syndicators you know they're just always going to go for the best rate you know and always just going to just shop it around and and it's very just transactional but you know i found with with my guys i said you know they're getting me the best possible deal they're, they're giving me various options on every opportunity we're doing and they ask all the tough questions and and if i'm thinking about the deal in one way and they're thinking about it the same way i tr i trust that opinion right and so um to me that's that's just you know not how you know I mean, it's not to knock having like 50 broker relationships but it's better to have like one or two like really good friends best mm -hmm. friends in the industry that hey this broker is going to call me on every deal and you know if you know if he puts something to market it's because you passed on it already and, and so so to me it's just really been trying to become even closer and better friends with those guys that we've mm -hmm. that we've done multiple deals with um, yeah. be it from you know private sellers or or the or the broker side and those conversations are just you know it's multiple times a week that we're talking and trying to best you know best strategize on what 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 the next what what the next deals look like the best opportunities to to deploy our money yeah and that's your competitive advantage you have access to capital and you have the relationships which you know puts you above uh you know 90 95 percent of other investors in the mar you know in the markets that you're looking at so that's great that's awesome the other thing too is having the um having a good broker that is uh, underwriting your deals pretty much on another level which is awesome because you send to them they're like listen this isn't even gonna this isn't gonna pencil you know yeah. what i mean or this has to be looked at and that's uh that's awesome i was told once by a broker that um or lender that um you know, you, you think of lenders like restaurants where you have, you're paying for different kind of services kind of a thing. And even if they're not getting the best one, um, or if you're paying a little higher on that broker's fee, um, it's usually really well worth it in the long run because they might be giving you additional service and you're compensating right. for their additional experience in their field, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, there's a deal I'm working on right now. I'm not going to say where it's at just because I, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to out the, I don't want out the loan, the, the loan team, but it's, it's painful. And, and, um, had this group use my guy. Uh, and there's a reason why they went with it, with the, with this particular loan broker, they already knew the property and the market and everything, but, but man, it's, it's, it's like, um, you know, it, it's, it's just kind of like minor league compared to, you know, um, my loan broker, just nice guys. They, but they're, they're really just trying to do the best job possible for you as the borrower. And they, they're, they're really thinking about these, you know, the things that you're, you may not be thinking about making sure that you're doing a good deal. Um, you know, we, you know, when you're buying, you just, sometimes you tell yourself these lies that you think a deal is going to be fantastic and you try to outsmart what the real data, you know, what, what the metrics are going to be. And, and you know, you never want to, um, the, the truth will always come out. Right. So, and sometimes you think you can outsmart or outwork the current management or the, the current business model, but, you know what? 
Um, maybe there's a reason why a property works a certain way. And it's, it's just good to have those kind of those conversations where, where there's a reality check and, and these guys are really stress testing the deal with you and make sure you're doing the best thing for you and your investors. Yeah. So what do you see for the next 12 to 24 months in multifamily? Um, I guess, I mean, with the economy, with everything that's happening, we're already in COVID for 12 months as we're speaking. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have a crystal ball. I mean, I, I think that, you know, multifamily by and large is, is still going to be a very strong investment. And I've, I've kind of heard both sides of this argument. I've heard some people say, Hey, look, there's going to be a crash. Like all these people have been over, you know, people have been overpaying for multifamily for, for a while now that, that there's going to be a, a day of reckoning. Um, but the counter to that point is that, look, interest rates are still really low. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's investors that are chasing yield. Um, that's, that's not that great. So there's some investors that they're happy with four or 5% cash on cash. And if that's the case, that can continue to drive prices mm-hmm. in certain markets. Um, but I think that there will be, I mean, you know, whenever there's an economic pullback, I don't know if that's a year from now, five years from now, mm-hmm. um, you know, that could affect how far you can push rents, right? It may, mm-hmm. may soften it. I mean, people still need places to live, but it's really like, you know, how does that affect your business plan, right? So maybe you had a straight value add strategy and you were in, in the middle of a, a bridge loan or a hard money loan. And if you haven't been able to execute your business plan, that might, you know, that, that may affect your ability to then get the valuation you were looking mm-hmm. for. And you might have some disappointed mm-hmm. investors or, you know, or, or you may lose the deal completely. But I think by and large, the fundamentals are still very strong. Um, but, you know, no, one's, no one really saw COVID coming. And, and, and then when it came, everybody was panicking, thinking that, you know, nobody was going to pay rent. And, you know, it, it's, I think there's certain markets that that's true, but I don't know, it seems like, it seems like multifamily still, you know, it keeps going up and up. I mean, yeah. it's, it's trading like crazy. So um, I just, I honestly don't know. What I do know is I'm just going to continue to adapt to whatever's out there in the market. Um, I'll just adapt my strategy to, to meet what, what the market has at the time. Yeah, I agree with you. It's like, I think the value add, it's a great strategy. And I think it's pushed by a lot of gurus as, but it's something that I believe is not something that can, you can utilize in every part of the market cycle. I mean, you're not right. People are telling me they're doing value adds in 2020. And I'm like, I'm not kicking out anyone that's paying me rent. That's right. That's right. I mean, like, and you would be very foolish to do that. Have a call with your, you know, with your um, investor base and tell them, but it's like, I'm not going to kick someone out, try to raise, uh, put $5,000 or 2,500 into a unit and try to get out another 125 bucks. Um, that's where you push it back and, um, you're taking care of a lot of your, uh, you know, take care of your roof, take care of some mechanicals, take care of stuff like that. But, um, you know, what stuff we're doing now, we're not penciling in rent increases for, for a year, you know, maybe even more. And it's like, you know, we're cleaning, painting and renting. Well, that's uh, that's a great point. I think, I guess one of the things, the way we underwrite our deals is, we'll usually take two to three years to see if we are anticipating rent increases. Yeah. We'll, we'll make sure we're taking two, two to three years to, to realize that. And you know, this portfolio I'm buying right now, it's, it's, it's smaller, it's a 35 townhomes, but the average rents are around 1200 and they can be pushed easily to, to 1400. Um, current owner is, is, you know, came to me, you know, we did our inspections about a week and a half ago and she said, hey, you know, I've got a couple leases renewing, but I wasn't going to push the rents too much. You know, it's up to you, you know, do you want to push the rents? But I'm thinking, okay, you, know, you got these $1,200 a month rents. 
and and you know what does the market look like right now it may take a little longer mm-hmm. to find that right tenant it's better to i mean you lose one month of uh one month of rent you know there, there goes your increase for, for the next year so i think it's better to, to play the long game and, and be smart about keeping a, a good paying tenant and, and um you know rent increases are not always linear you know i mean you could go five years and not increase the rents at one property and then all of a sudden you know, you're going 50 bucks, 50 bucks a month, you know, when the time's right. So that's the only downside sometimes with, um, with these daily analyzers is, um, I, I mean, maybe I, just for me and my own little small sample size in my own little world, it's never just been, Hey, it's 5% a year and just goes up and up. I mean, there might be years where you're like, all right, we're at the top of the market and we're, we're plateauing for five, you know, for another five years. And then all of a sudden you jump back up. Um, you know, and over a 10, 20 year period, you've, you've gotten the averages you've wanted, but it just, you know, kind of comes and goes. Yeah. No, for sure. And the other thing too, is that um, when you're renting now, you have someone that's already paying, right? But when you're renting now, you can do all the checks on them. You don't know that they're going to be paying month two, month five, yeah. month 13. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what happens if they stop paying after month five? And now you've got someone sitting there for God knows how long now. Um, exactly. So that's another roll the dice, which I would not want to be doing with my money or definitely not with investors' money on the line. But um, so what do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success, Jason? Um, well, you know, I think having a, uh, having a great partner, you know, my wife and I built mm-hmm. a business together. I mean, um, there's been a few deals um, where we've looked at that, you know, they could bury you, right? They become, mm-hmm. whether it's a money pit or it's just, uh, and, you know, I was really excited looking at a deal and, and we look at each other and she's like, we're not buying this. Like, and, and, uh, I joke around, you know, that, Hey, she would have left me if we did the deal. Now that, that's not true, but it's, it's, um, <laughs> she, she hates when I say that, but it, it's like having somebody that can tell you, Hey, you know what, this, this maybe is, is wrong, you know, not, not the, you know, it doesn't fit our criteria or it's going to be, you know, uh, it's just not going to, you know, why are we really wanting to do this deal? So, um, so that, that's been, you know, just having a great wife, you know, who's also my business partner, um, that that's been, you know, great for the success. But I think that just always having this, this, you know, desire to continue to learn and, and grow. So we've grown from like, a, like say a unit count and an income standpoint, but also growing just from like, Hey, how do I keep honing our process? How do we get better? And, and I think that desire to try to always be better than we were the day before. Um, that's really the biggest, the biggest thing, because you know, this business will knock you down at times. I mean, whether it's, you know, whether it's COVID and you have to halt distributions, whether it's, um, you know, a bunch of tenants trash your building and you have to, there goes your cash flow for a year, whatever the case is, there's going to be a lot of things that can derail you that can, that can kind of kick you in the teeth a little bit. Um, but so I think it's just keeping up, honestly, it's as simple as keeping a positive attitude, um, you know, and, and wanting to continue to learn. And surrounding yourself with good people, you know, joining masterminds, you know, reading everything you can. Now you can overdo that because you still have to yeah. live your life and still have to, you know, get out there and make things happen. But I just think that, you know, just kind of keeping that positive attitude and taking a, a long view of things like, hey, maybe you have a challenge with a property today. That that's not, or even employees, that shouldn't be that shouldn't define you for the life of your your investment career. Mm-hmm. It could be a short-term challenge. And I just think really taking that long view of things is, is, um, is crucial because, you know, any business is going to have setbacks and challenges. So it's how, how you deal with them, how you respond, that that's going to make all the difference. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you're a coach and a speaker. What are common mistakes you see investors make? And then we'll, we'll close it up here. Sure. I think one of the biggest things, you know, is, is people sometimes focus on the wrong thing. You know, I, I see it a lot with, with mm -hmm. syndication and, and multifamily that, you know, you buy the latest coaching package from, from whatever guru selling them. And then there's a ton of great content out there, no doubt, but it's, Hey, I want to buy a thousand units this year. And not that that's a bad goal. Um, you know, like that, that's a fine goal, but it's, it's like, what do you really want? You know? And I think, so I think the biggest mistake is not having clearly defined goals. If you want to be able to say, Hey, I have a thousand units so I can get on stage and brag at, at a, at a live event. That's great. But if you're only a, like a half a percent owner of those thousand units, you know, your cash flow is going to be less than a guy or gal that has just a handful of duplexes. So, so really, I think it's, you know, do you want freedom, cash flow, and really define those goals and, and not really make it about the unit count? I mean, the unit count is a useful metric because yeah. if you have a dollar amount tied to each door, um, but I think people can sometimes lose sight of the fact of what they really want in this business. And they might just, you know, they might just mastermind themselves to death. I mean, they could be on <laughs> calls every day, every week, building connections and networking, but you know, is that the highest and best use of your time? Yeah. Is that, is that really what you're aiming for? And for some people it is, it, it's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, but I see a lot of people kind of go down a different path than what they, than what they really want, you know, which yeah. might be freedom, you know, it might be cash flow. And they, and what's important to you and me from a dollar standpoint, it's totally different from somebody else. Somebody might say, Hey, I just need a few thousand dollars a month of cash flow. I can live on, you know, I can live very cheaply. And somebody might say, Hey, I need tens of thousands, hundreds, of whatever it is, every, yeah. it's all your income. It's all relative to, to what you want and how you're going to spend it. So. Yeah. The doors is, is, uh, is not a, it's, it's not an accurate way of, I think, uh, assessing your success in the business. I think it's more of figuring out kind of, um, appeal. I, I talk, I talk to people and it's like, you know, set up your 15, your 10, your five year goals. And then what do you, and then work that into weekly goals and figure out what you have to do every week. And that's it. I mean, yeah. if people are closing deals all around you, just like you, and you, you, you feel bad about it if you start at the same place and you feel that like you're behind them, but I mean, you have criteria and you have a strategy yeah. and, um, you know, I always kind of laugh a little bit to myself if it's someone that's a little newer, especially where we are in the market cycle. And you and I have gone through um, 08 and stuff like that. And I was renting apartments and people were negotiating with me and you're keeping people in them and because you didn't know what was going to happen. Right. And um, and it's something that uh, I mean, we had no problems. I, I didn't lose any prop properties, no rentals, no commercial properties during that time. And uh, I don't know. It's just it's, yeah. you know, so new people. They don't know that they don't have they're not seasoned like that so it's something too that you have to keep in your mind too that listen this is the plan this is what works we'll stay on it and uh at some point one thing i'd add to that i mean i uh is, is just the big i mean i guess a big mistake kind of popped in my mind is just stop comparing yourself to others mm -hmm. right so so everybody starts and they're like and they think what they see on facebook is reality oh my gosh i just you know this guy and i started at the same time and he's got a thousand doors and and they may not be telling the whole story mm -hmm. and they might start, you know, there's this like jealousy factor or, Hey, I'm not doing enough. And, and it's, you know, I mean, it's, we, maybe all of us, hopefully, you know, a lot of us know now, I mean, what you see on social media is not always reality. <laughs> um, and a lot of times people have something to sell or there's another agenda and that's okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I think like, you know, comparing yourself to others and, and where you're at is going to steal any joy that you have. You know, they say comparison, 
is the thief of joy. And so, so I mean, just be ha comfortable and happy with your, your, where you're at in your own journey and, and um, you know, and, and don't compare it to the next guys because there's always going to be somebody, you know, more handsome, fitter, you know, wealthier, whatever it is, you know, nicer car, bigger house, doesn't matter, right? Like it, it's about you and your own journey. So that's just, I guess that's the biggest thing is just being centered and being comfortable with where you're at and, and what's important to you and your family. And don't, don't let it, I mean, maybe use that other stuff as, as motivation, if that's mm -hmm. what you want, but don't use it as comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Progress. I've only, the happiest I've been is when I have progress. So yeah. I think it's Tony Robbins progress equals happiness. And uh, it's a great thing to live by. And you see where you were a year ago, a month ago, uh, six months ago. And um, you know, if it's financial or if it's something else, I mean, you've made progress and that's something that you can celebrate, but um, yeah. how can our listeners learn more about you and your businesses? Sure. Um, they can connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, um, uh, connect on my uh, website, perilrealestate.com. Um, you know, and, and I, I've got a whole bunch of info in there. Um, but yeah, they can, you can put my email in the show notes too, if you want. Okay. Yeah. I've got all your links. I'll put them in the uh, podcast and YouTube notes. So thank you so much for being on Jason and, uh, looking forward to meeting up with you again, face to face when we can do that. Same, same. I can't wait to see you again, my friend. Talk to you soon. Yeah, you too. Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars Incorporated exclusively.